0: Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda.
1: And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com.
0: This week it's episode 198, and we're talking about travel in the Navajo Nation and the work of Quincy Tahoma.
1: Yeah, this week we're pleased to have an interview with Vera Marie Baditcher, the co-author of a new book on Navajo artist Quincy Dahoma. So in the interview, I learn a lot about the United States Indian reservations, get some tips for traveling in and around the Navajo Nation, and discuss the life and times of the artist, Quincy Tahoma.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. Don't forget that you can help the Indie Travel Podcast stay travelling by booking through us. So visit indietravelpodcast.com slash flights slash hostels and slash insurance when you're booking your travel online. We also have travel deals updating daily at indietravelpodcast.com slash deals.
1: And you can visit indietravelpodcast.com slash Amazon when you're shopping online, or get a free audiobook with a two-week trial of Audible through indietravelpodcast.com slash audible or slash audiobook. I've just been listening to uh part 13 of part a f- 13. 14 part book. Each book is about uh well, I think I don't know what the average is, it's but like this like 40
0: hours. This
1: yeah, this book's over 40 hours long. They're really so, long. Um, yeah, that's, what's that's funny been about me it, for the last couple of months. What's hilarious
0: <laughs> what's hilarious about it is that Craig listens to them while he's going to sleep and he listens for about 4 or 5 minutes, but he sets it on a 20 minute timer. So he has to um rewind and listen again and so he listens he probably listens to the book twice
1: yeah i'm I'm glad it's not a a book on tape where we kind of get (laughs) worn out (laughs) yeah oh good hey so the Mongol rally is coming up soon we're just about two months away now but the Mongol rally raffle is happening right now starting today on june the 6th and running through to june the 12th and uh, that is going to be cool. Uh, visit the socialmediasyndicate.com, or come to Indie Travel Podcast. We'll have uh, some ads on site. The rally is for five US bucks each and uh, for each ticket. And you get a chance to win one of two trips from Intrepid Travel. They're both pretty significant. One of them is a 15-day trip through Mongolia and the other one is an eight-day trip around the Incan ruins of Peru. Well, so awesome. <laughs> two great, great trips on offer there. And, uh, yeah, each each ticket into the raffle is just five bucks. And you're funding the, the Social Media Syndicate Mongol Rally Team.
0: Yep. Highly recommend buying two or three or four or five tickets because, you know, then you get more chances to win.
1: mm very cool.
0: Well, we've got an interview to crack into, so let's get on with it.
1: Today I'm speaking with Vera Marie Vera uh, Vera's the author of many, many guidebook and travel book uh, reviews on the Indie Travel Podcast. And she also writes at a travelerslibrary.com which uh, is a blog all about books and movies that inspire traveling, and uh, so not only travel books, but also books and uh, and films that inspire people to travel, so it's a very, very cool site. The reason that uh, I wanted to talk with Vera on the show is that she's the co-author of a new book called Quincy Tahoma, The Life and Times of a Navajo Artist, and uh, I wanted to talk to Vera about uh, traveling in the Navajo Nation in the United States um, and also kind of what what to see, what to do around there, and also try and get an idea of how this uh, local name, Quincy Tahoma, kind of fits in and, and where his art is, is able to be seen around the place. So, Vera, welcome to the Indie Travel Podcast. Thank you. First of all, Vera, for a non-American like me, the term Navajo, I guess, conjures up the the Saturday Afternoon Western on TV. Um, I'm much more familiar with it in terms of uh, a Hollywood uh, a Hollywood gunfight than anything else. So can you help me and the other listeners kind of put, put a better wrapper around Navajo? Can you help us locate them, both geographically and also culturally?
2: Okay. The Navajo... Uh have the largest reservation in the United States and they are the most populous Indian uh, people Uh, the second largest are the Cherokee and they kinda tend to go back and forth which one is larger but at present time there are more Navajo than anyone than any other individual Indian group their reservation stretches across the northern oh fourth, I guess, of Arizona and New Mexico, and it goes up into Utah and a little tiny bit into Colorado. Your images of the Navajo probably come mostly from old uh, Western movies by John Wayne, filmed and produced by John Ford, who discovered Monument Valley. And um, that is uh, in the what's called the Four Corners region, where the four states that I just mentioned come together. And it's a very spectacular landscape. The whole area that the Navajos live in is a high desert plateau, which means there are a lot of dramatic rock formations, but not a lot of meadows and grass and trees. There are areas that are forested but not large areas. So the Navajo traditionally have been um, until probably the middle of the 20th century a rather nomadic people following their sheep and their horses um, according to the season so that they could graze their animals. They came to the United States or to this continent um, along with others. And there's a lot of debate about how they got here, but they are related to the Apache Indians that you probably have also heard of. And both of them tended to be roaming tribes rather than stationary tribes.
1: And can we maybe fast forward from there up until the, the modern day? What's the current situation like?
2: Well, the current situation is mixed. There's still a very traditionalist society, and there are older people there, as a matter of fact, some that we interviewed for this book, who still don't speak English. They speak only Navajo. Navajo was only translated into English uh, during the latter part of the 20th century, so it hasn't been that long that they've had a written language. Um, but today they... Um, They tend to, if they go off the reservation and get an education, they tend in large numbers to go back. Although there are a lot of people that live urban lives also. And the jobs on the reservation um, vary. They still have sheep herding, but the jobs vary from uh, some coal mining. Uh, There were uranium mines on the Navajo reservation. They have their own nation, and so they have their own police department. Anybody who has read the Tony Hillerman novels about the Navajo detectives. and By the way, that's a very good way to learn about the Navajo people is to read Tony Hillerman's novels. Um, Or they go off the reservation, they live near the edge, and they go off and they work in, in factories that are off the reservation. But there are also a large number of artists and craftsmen among the Navajo people, and some support themselves that way.
1: So maybe I'm getting a bit off topic here, but if I was driving through the states and I saw a, a sign saying I was entering Navajo Nation land or another reservation, I'd be thinking that's maybe a border I shouldn't be crossing. Uh, is, is that the way it is?
2: No, actually, it's an invisible border. You won't see fences. You won't see signs. Um, you may start picking up a radio station that only plays Navajo. And the place names will sound very Navajo, um, rather than sounding English. Um, But other than that, it's more a change in geography, and you'll begin to see some uh, sheep camps, some corrals with sheep in them. You'll begin to see perhaps some old traditional hogans, um, together with a lot of pickup trucks. Um, But there will be communities where people shop in a regular grocery store and get their gas at the regular gas station and their hamburgers at the McDonald's, um, as well as old-fashioned trading posts, uh, which you'll see in the movies.
1: So there's no practical difference for a, a foreign traveler like me who might be coming through the region?
2: There are certain things that you're asked to get permission for. If you're going on there to make a movie, for instance, Um, if you're a professional photographer and you're going to be publishing photographs that you've taken on the reservation. And because we were doing a book and we were going to be interviewing a great number of people, we wanted to get the official imprint of the Navajo Nation. So we went to their capital, which is called Window Rock, which is in northeastern Arizona, and we talked to their cultural affairs office, and we got a written permit to do research on the reservation. But those are all professional uses, not travelers, and the Navajo Nation themselves have started um, a course in hospitality, and they own restaurants and hotels on the reservation, totally run by Navajo.
1: Well, let's zoom in on the subject of your book, Quincy Tahoma. He's a modern artist and died quite recently, I understand. Can you give us a bit of background?
2: Well, not too recently. He died in 1956. Um, He was born in 1917, so he was only 38 or 39, depending on what month he was born in, uh, at the time that he died of the effects of alcoholism. Uh, my co-author and friend from college days, Charnel Havens, had inherited five of his paintings, and she was so fascinated Um, by who was this person. She lived in Ohio, which is far away from the Navajo reservation. And she didn't know who he was and she kind of lived with these paintings for a long time and got more and more curious. So she went out to New Mexico and asked a few Indian traders what they knew about Quincy Tahoma. And she found out that his art is still highly prized and is traded and auctioned. But she couldn't find out much about his life. So she came to me because I was a freelance writer and we were friends and asked if I'd like to join her in the project, and I did. And it took 10 years for us to research his life and put together all the details. The thing that fascinated me as a writer about his life was that there are so many things in his life that parallel great changes in American Indian art and in American Indian culture that happened around the middle of the 20th century.
1: Can you give us some examples of that?
2: Okay. Um, As far as art is concerned, people are kind of surprised sometimes to find out that American Indians didn't really paint on... Um, a hard surface like paper or canvas or cardboard, even until um, actually the early 1900s. And the first beginning of that kind of painting happened because archaeologists and anthropologists wanted images of their ceremonial garb and their dances. And at that time, the the Indians were compliant and went ahead and and drew those pictures. Today, you could not do that. You can go to watch a ceremony in some cases. In some cases, you can't even go. But you can go and watch some of them if you're invited, but you can't take photographs, you can't draw pictures, you can't even make notes while it's going on. But back then, um, when the anthropologists came along and the archaeologists and said we want to know what this really looks like some of the uh, people who had artistic talent would do drawings for them on whatever happened to be lying around so by the nineteen uh... twenties art was being taught in the schools What what we think of as art of course american indians had been practicing art in their development of weavings and pottery and blankets and the Plains Indians painting their tents and uh, the Navajo Indians with sand paintings which were part of their ceremonies Um, but what we think of art as something that you buy and sell really came to them quite late and uh so that's one of the developments. Tahoma was born in 1917 and the first artist to be painting on paper came along just before he was born. The first school that was dedicated to developing painters was the studio at the Santa Fe Indian School and the arrival of the teacher Dorothy Dunn who started that school was the same time that Tahoma went to that school and there were a group of non-Indians who began to defend the defend the rights of Indians, and they were fearful that the traditions were going to disappear. That a rapidly modernizing world in 1920s and 30s, uh, all of these old traditions were going to be swept under the rug. Well, as it turns out, the the Indian traditions have been um, very what we would call sticky. I guess <laughs> they have stayed um, in their traditional mode all of this time while they are being modernized in other ways. So, Tahoma was fortunate to come along when the art was being taken seriously, when these defenders of Indian rights were seeing art as art rather than just as a cultural oddity. And, um, and so he had a place to sell his art and he could really become a professional artist.
1: When I look at some of the prints on com, it seems to me to be a very modern graphic novel style of art. It's not something I'd really imagine coming from the 1940s. Something in it to me just speaks of very, very modern works and ideas.
2: Well, that is kind of interesting. He he did um, experiment and he did do things a little bit differently his style was different than a lot of the other artists at that time and it was certainly different than what Dorothy Dunn was teaching in the studio she was teaching a very static and flat kind of painting and as you've looked at his paintings and anybody who goes to TahomaBlog.com can see he loved action and he painted a lot of buffalo hunts and warriors riding their horses and that sort of thing. So, yeah, he was experimenting and going in a new direction.
1: Let's talk travel. How can we locate Quincy as we travel through the area and through the Navajo Nation?
2: Well, there are um, a couple of things. One is he was born in or near Tuba City. And Tuba City is... Um, a song that most, uh, a, a town that most people only know through the song Route 66, <laughs> and it's um, a small, um, dusty, not very impressive kind of a town, and yet for the tourists there are a lot of interesting things. First of all, getting there is half the joy. You probably will drive. There's no airport. And you can drive north from Flagstaff, Arizona, which is mountainous and lots of pine trees. And you gradually come out into this high desert plateau, which is dramatic rock formations and the painted desert and um, very uh, wide, clear, turquoise skies overhead. And you come to this uh, little town that is um, historic. It was settled in the 1800s, and there's a trading post there, and there's a little museum that uh, shows you the Navajo culture. And if you come in on a Friday morning, there's a swap meet, and the swap meet is where all of the Navajo people, particularly the older people, like to gather. So if you want to see the colorful costumes with the women in velvet blouses and dripping with silver and turquoise jewelry and the men in their cowboy jeans and cowboy hats and high boots, and if you want to to eat a lot of good native Navajo food, like mutton stew and fry bread... Then get there on a Friday and go to the swap meet. And you can get a kind of a feeling for the area that Tahoma started out from. But then you can drive toward the east and eventually come to my favorite place in Arizona, which is Canyon de Shea. That is spelled C-H-E-L-L-Y. And it's a mispronunciation of the Navajo word Shea, which is T-S-G-E-I. Anyway, it's a beautiful canyon, and Navajos live in it. It's owned by the Navajo and run by the National Park Service, the American National Park Service. And you have to have a Navajo guide to go inside. And um, there are wild horses running through the stream that runs down the bottom of the canyon and there's an old ruin of a of a a rock pueblo in one of the cliffs so it's a it's a gorgeous spot and that's a place that tahoma did visit at one point and then you can continue on northeast, and you can go to Monument Valley, which I spoke about early, earlier. And not only do you see Monument Valley in the background of a lot of Western movies that come out of the United States, but you see it in the background of a lot of American Indian painting. And you do see it in Tahoma's paintings, because it has tall, spindly mesas of rock that are very dramatic and makes a great backdrop so there are all of those ways that you can see um, where Tahoma lived and looked and painted although he didn't live there after he was a child he visited the reservation enough to use that that landscape as part of his paintings The other way, then, to become familiar with Tahoma is to go to Santa Fe, New Mexico, where he went to school and where he lived most of his life, and there are are, um, a whole uh, collection of wonderful museums in Santa Fe, and you can actually see some of his art in some of those museums, like the New Mexico Museum of Indian Art and Culture, for instance.
1: Well, Vera, thanks so much for coming on the Indie Travel Podcast today and telling us about um, this area of the States and about the life and times of Quincy, Tahoma. It's been a a real education for me and hopefully for some of our listeners as well.
2: Well, please come and visit the beautiful southwest of of the United States and don't hesitate to visit some of the Indian reservations.
0: Well, thanks to Vera for coming on the show. Check out the site, look at Tahoma's work and buy a copy of the book at tahomablog.com. You can also find Vera at atravelerslibrary.com. That's travellers with one L, the American way.
1: We don't approve, but you know what can we do? <laughs> Can't do much about the <laughs> URL. Well, community wisdom. Uh, on site this week, Europe has been a big focus.
0: Yeah, that's right. Bratislava and Prague come under scrutiny. There's lots of good advice for Prague, but what about poor Bratislava? You know,
1: what about poor Bratislava? We were only there for a couple of days, so I I really can't remember what was there. a nice castle. There.
0: And we wandered around the streets and had some nice food. Mm,
1: I remember there being good food. Yep. But uh, if you've got better advice than that for Bratislava, please uh, come and see the forums, indytravelpodcast.com slash forums, and uh, you'll see that post there helps Steve research his trip.
0: Jamison has uploaded some photos from the Bookinson National Park in Korea. From one, the city of Seoul just seems to stretch on
1: forever. And we welcome a whole pile of new members to the community and also uh, see some old faces that haven't been around for a while. So do come and join in by asking your travel questions in the forum, uploading your photos and trip reports to help everyone out.
0: That's right. It's IndieTravelPodcast.com slash community. So get your free account and join in the conversation.
1: Don't forget about the Mongol Rally Raffle. It's starting June 6th to June 12th this year, 2011. So, um... Get your Buy money tickets. out. Yeah, <laughs> five bucks for a chance to uh, do either a long trip through Mongolia or a one-week trip around the Incan ruins of Peru. So fantastic! Each five bucks that you give as a as a raffle ticket. Um, buys about, I think it's two US dollars per litre of petrol, so... That's two and a half litres of petrol. You're, you're buying a, a couple of litres of petrol. And when you're driving 16,000 kilometres, you need quite a lot of petrol. <laughs> yes, yes, you do. So uh, we'll have details at IndieTravelPodcast.com or watch the SocialMediaSyndicate.com.
0: Well, we'll be talking to Dave and Deb, Canada's adventure couple, next month, and we'll get the lowdown on what's happening with them, which will be very exciting.
1: Mm. Well, you can help the Indie Travel Podcast stay travelling by booking through us, so visit IndieTravelPodcast.com slash flights slash hostels and slash insurance when you're booking your travel online. There's travel deals updating daily at IndieTravelPodcast.com slash deals.
0: Type in IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Amazon when you're shopping online. We'll get great trial bonuses from our partners. You can download a free audiobook with a two-week free trial of Audible through IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Audible or IndieTravelPodcast.com slash audiobook, as you wish. And you can also get a two-week, $1 trial of the Travel Hacking Cartel at IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Travel Hacking.
1: If you'd like to help us out, um, but you don't want to give us any money, then tell your <laughs> friends about us here at the Indie Travel Podcast. Invite them to our Facebook page, which is Facebook.com slash Indie Travel, or leave a five-star review for us on iTunes. It's a really good way to help people find the show.
0: Yeah, we really appreciate it. Well, that's us for this week. Until next week, travel well.